This is Theology Refresh. I'm David Mathis, and we are tackling sanctification now in a second part with John Piper. John, thank you again for joining us. In our first part, we talked about sanctification in general. Sanctification as the progressive becoming like Jesus, little by little, day in and day out, becoming more holy, being sanctified, uh, as distinguished from justification, God's one-time declaration that we are righteous because of Jesus. In sanctification, we are progressively becoming more righteous, becoming more holy. And now we want to talk more about the particularity. How does sanctification work for the Christian day in and day out? How does it begin to involve our will? And essential in this is to talk about the gospel. How does the gospel relate to our sanctification? And in recent weeks, months, years, there has been a a sweet resurgence of gospel focus and talk in our little Reformed evangelical circle. And the continuing debate seems to be how the gospel relates to sanctification. And our hope in the second session is that we can speak into that mm-hmm. uh, and help propose a, a good way forward uh, that would help bring about real on-the-ground sanctification and press into the language some. John, it might be helpful if we begin with clarity on the gospel. What is the gospel? How would you go about defining the gospel? The safest place to begin is... is uh where Paul begins, <laughs> that is the place he makes most explicit in 1 Corinthians fifteen three. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that on the third day he rose again according to the scriptures. So he, he, he just goes right to the core of the substitutionary death of Jesus for sinners. And of course, contained in there are glorious truths but that's the core of of the gospel it's the act of God in history to save sinners by substituting his son Jesus Christ in their place so that their sin is on to him and his righteousness and perfect obedience is on to them through faith alone. And I think through faith alone is an essential part of the gospel because if you had to earn the benefits of what he achieved on the cross, there would be no good news. So part of the good news is not just that he acted in a sovereign initiation to uh, remove the wrath of God, conquer sin, defeat the devil, shut the door of hell, forgive sins, provide righteousness, but that this is ours for free. <laughs> it's for free. You, you can only receive it as a gift. You can't earn it or work for it. So um, I, I could just give you a practical illustration of how I think the gospel brings immediate and, and relevant effect into a person's life. When I was told five years ago that uh, after an examination on on my prostate, the doctor said, 
I think I'd like to do a biopsy. Feels a little irregular. I said, oh, when would you want to do that? He said, now. <laughs> Here, why don't you put on that smock over there and I'll go get the machine. And I, He left me there for 10 minutes. That's a very rare 10 minutes. You better not waste those 10 minutes. And so I sat there. You know, you put on this doohickey that's open at the back and you feel stupid. Um, and and uh, the Lord gave me 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, which says, uh, you have not been appointed for wrath, but to obtain salvation through your Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you so that whether you wake or sleep, mm. live or die, you belong to Jesus. So there the death of Jesus, that's the heart of the gospel, the death of Jesus is brought to bear on whether you live or die, you're mine. You will not be condemned. There is no condemnation. So to, to, to know the gospel, to believe the gospel, to live in the gospel is to live in the assurance that just before you get this biopsy, you're safe as can be. Because if you get cancer and die, you're safe. If you get cancer and live, you're safe because you don't live under God's condemnation anymore. You have eternal life and therefore there's a, there's, it's all over your life, this incredible freedom from fear and from guilt and from condemnation. Romans one sixteen says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for those who are believing. That's a, a great illustration from the doctor's office about how right. the gospel is powerful in a sanctifying scenario, right. a sanctification scenario. And it's thrilling that in our day, much is being made about the gospel not only being relevant for conversion, not only being a message we proclaim to the non-believing, but a message important for believers. And yet, there's more to press in on and to ask, how does it work? Yeah. Amen. The gospel is the power of God for sanctification. Now, now, how? How does it move forward? What's the dynamic? And you want to help us in that. Yeah, I, I love what I'm hearing. Um, and there is an incredible gospel resurgence today. I wrote a list of 14 new books in the last two years, I think, that have more or less gospel in the title or subtitle. Uh, and, and and the language is the gospel driven this and the gospel driven that. That is how, and, and the whole the whole effort right now in the, in the present discussion is, uh, what are the dynamics, the practical daily dynamics of how believing the gospel makes you a uh, a person who cares about human trafficking, who makes you more patient with your wife who makes you more prone to play with your children in a humble, on-the-floor way that doesn't consider them beneath you, makes you a more uh, loving and kind pastor. How does the gospel, how does being forgiven, being justified, being free from condemnation jump to, I will help my roommate clean up 
every time he leaves his crabby stuff all over the floor every day. You know, I will, I will be a more patient, a more kind and helpful. How does that work? And uh, frankly, I, I'm not hearing some of the things I want to hear. <laughs> be careful here because these guys are smart and they, they know as much as I do and they probably grasp some things way better than I do. But, but let me just toss in, in the few minutes we have, my, my take on motivation. I, I want to hear the actual psychological dynamics of the way faith and the gospel, which is historically past, um, produces this afternoon, that's future, a different John Piper, a different behavior. Um, takes away my anxiety, makes me more hospitable, makes me more patient, makes me more generous, makes me less vengeful. I'm thinking of the, all the commands of Romans 12, for, for example. And, and the peace that I want to stir in is uh, twofold. I think the key to how faith produces obedience or produces holiness or produces love or produces the fruits of the Holy Spirit is understanding faith as treasuring Christ and faith as confidence in God's future grace. Because the New Testament doesn't just leave us with generalizations about if you believe long enough and hard enough that you're a forgiven and justified person, you become good. It does not leave us there. It gives us practical command after practical Mm -hmm. command, and lots of those commands are connected with ground clauses that give practical incentives and motivations, and almost all of those, not all, but almost all of those are related to the future. so this twofold thing, faith as treasuring Christ means that the more I treasure him, the more I'll be conformed to him. I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians 3.18, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from one degree of glory to the next. So if you see Jesus as glorious and he gets more and more and more precious and glorious and valuable, you will be shaped by what you're looking at. You will be, which is why... I, I have to say not all the incentives are future-oriented because when it says, and this has been very powerful for me in my marriage, when it says, um, let all bitterness, this is Ephesians 4, 31 and 2, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor uh, and slander be put away from you with all malice and be kind to Noel, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That as there is a uh, being shaped by what you're looking at, and what you're looking at is Christ hanging on the cross with indescribable love and self-denial and sacrifice for you. If you look at that long enough, treasure that deeply enough, value that to the bottom of your being, you're going to be shaped by it. So that's huge. Just the, the meditation on the nature of Christ, the nature of his love, And so faith understood as I'm embracing that, I'm treasuring that, I'm valuing that, I'm cherishing it, it is my supreme treasure, that will change you. So that's one emphasis. 
and the other is 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 future grace faith in future grace when i when i look at incentives in the new testament i see uh in luke 14:14 14, 14, invite over to your house people who can't pay you back for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just clearly one of the functional incentives in my mind when I feel disinclined to be hospitable is to say, look, sure it's going to be hard because these folks, these folks that you're inviting over, they may not even speak English. It's going to be an awkward Thanksgiving. Uh, it's not going to be as easy as it was last year. Uh, get over it because there's going to be a reward at the resurrection of the just. That is a concrete confidence in a future reward. Maybe I'll just mention one other and then you can tell me if we're going down the direction you wanted to go. Um, Hebrews chapter 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I mean, what could you ask more clearly than that? If if you asked me, how does faith in the gospel change your life? I'd say, uh, do you mean faith in the future? Or are you totally backward oriented? Are you only looking at the cross? Or or are you letting Romans 8.32 define what direction your faith is exercised in? Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave, past tense, gave him up for us all, will, future tense, will he not freely with him give us all things? So I'm arguing faith looks back, gets strengthened by the past grace, and then it spends its, its entire, almost, <laughs> sanctifying effort oriented on promises. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus. They were bought by Jesus Christ. Jesus secured for us his being totally for us in the future. So this afternoon, I must be confident in what he promises to do for me. Fear not, I'm with you. I'll help you. I'll strengthen you. If I believe that this afternoon, I will venture on him. And so faith in future grace becomes the key to lots of acts of love. And the one there in, in Hebrews 11 that I just think is such an incredible paradigm for me because of my love for, you know, Christian hedonism uh, is Moses where it goes like this. This is, Mo- this is Moses in uh, Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered reproach for the Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Now, I think that's a Hebrew's way of unpacking how faith, chapter 11, verse 1, the faith is the assurance of things hoped for, how it sanctifies. Faith sanctifies because faith looks to the reward, satisfies its soul on all that God is for us in Christ in the future, looks at the treasures of Egypt and says, refuse, and embraces the pain of leading a people for 40 years or being a pastor of a church for 30 years or staying married to a wife that doesn't care much about you or going after your kids who are wayward and being patient with them. All of that is possible because faith is faith in the future of what the past crucifixion has bought for us. That's, that's what I want to stir into the mix and say over and over again, 
the Bible presents the sanctifying work of faith as faith in future promises, future grace that were secured by the past. Just just one more comment. Yesterday, knowing that we were going to do this little conversation, I just opened up my, my computer Bible and I did a word search on trust in the Psalms. I, I recommend to the listener, try that. It's real simple. It's not used too many. You can look at them in t- 10 minutes. Um, they're all future-oriented, all of them. Um, but they're all based on God's faithfulness in the Exodus or his deliverance from the Philistines or, or he, he did something and God gets angry when he's done so much and they don't trust him to provide water. They don't trust him to deliver from the enemies. They don't trust him. Some trust in horses. Some trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. That means tomorrow or five minutes from now or when you and I have lunch in a few minutes, we're going to talk about with a, somebody about a controversial thing, and I'm wondering, how's that going to go? And should I get anxious? And have I studied enough? And will I be made a fool of? And will I like this person? And blah, blah, blah. How do, how do I love and become patient? Answer, trust him for goodness sakes. He died for you. But if we don't, if we don't orient our trust on what he's going to do, you and me, in an hour and a half from now, we'll be anxious. We'll get self-centered, and then we won't become holy. Mm-hmm. So sanctification, I think, is is uh, pursued by faith. Yes, yes, yes. Grounded in the gospel, shaped by the gospel. Yes, yes, yes. But overwhelmingly in the New Testament, that faith is faith in future grace. It's faith in promises. Mm-hmm. John, you, you mentioned Romans 8.32, which does seem to bring this together so well as a kind of paradigmatic verse what we're talking about. He who did not spare his own son. Right. Here's God revealing himself to us. The God of today and tomorrow that we trust for the future. How will he not also graciously with him give us all things? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, if, if I could believe that, not just once, but hourly, mm-hmm. that, that the God who didn't spare the, the most valuable person in the universe that that guarantees he's giving me everything I need. Mm. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. I would be a, 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 a happy, humble, other-oriented person. Mm. Because if Noel says, my wife rang me on the phone last night. I'm the intercom. I'm up in my study, and she's down in her study, and I'm getting ready for a bunch of things I had to do today. And she buzzes me, and she says, the wind is blowing the uh, umbrella, our big shade umbrella. It's hitting the side of the house. Her study is right by this umbrella. So, I'm, you know, the thought, first thought that comes to my mind, why don't you go put the umbrella down? <laughs> why, why? That, 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 at that moment, if, the, if my first thought had been God has sent his son to die for you and purchased for you that he will supply you with everything mm-hmm. you need and everything works for good. And in losing two minutes from your study mm-hmm. to walk down and do that for your right. wife, whom you're to love as Christ loved the church, yes. you lose nothing, you gain everything, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had that little selfish mm-hmm thing I had to shoot quickly with 
But, but I got there. I think mm. I got there. <laughs> I preached myself into obedience. That's right. John, thank you so much for joining us for this session. Uh, would you close us in prayer? Father in heaven, help our unbelief. We believe. Help our unbelief. The things we're hearing today in the debate are, are so good, so right. Yes, sanctification is by faith, and we just want to trust your promises. We want to be confident in all your assurances that you will work for us and help us and strengthen us and reward us. And whatever sacrifices we make, they cannot be greater than what you will restore to us. So God, increase our faith and may we set our faces like flint to pursue the obedience and to pursue the holiness without which we won't see the Lord and with which we will stand before you and hear the incredible words, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.